Previously on Wormwood, Dr. Xander Crow has arrived in the town of Wormwood following the vision of a dead woman, only to find that no one has drowned in Wormwood for 70 years. As his only clue, Dr. Crow put his enigmatic assistant, Sparrow, to the task of finding out more. Still unable to make progress, Dr. Crow stumbled across the dead body of Steve Haskell at the Cold Turkey Saloon, an apparent victim of the mysterious entity known as the Muddy Man. This unfortunate incident was the last straw for Sheriff Bradley, who arrested Crow on suspicion of murder. Ugh, need music. Jackass in my apartment one night and he changes the presets on my stereo? Ugh, that's more like it. Once a prominent psychologist, Tragedy forced Dr. Xander Crow down the dark pathways of the occult, and he was transformed. Now, chasing the vision of a dead woman, Dr. Crow finds himself in the haunted town of Wormwood, where evil lurks in the shadows and stains the souls of its inhabitants. Welcome to Wormwood. Episode 6, Where the Bullet Hits the Bone, written by Rob Osborne. Wormwood, your ass is mine, because our dear friend Xander has made it so easy for us, of course. An old drowned woman named Margaret Roosevelt, Hild Relic, Steve Haskell, Hank Mason, and what the hell is a muddy man, anyway? Sure, no problem, I say. I'm on it, boss. Let's just cross-reference it all through who gives a squat.com and... Ugh, who am I kidding? He wants the alternative, he's going to get the alternative. Navigating to non-secure page, continue. Yes, yes, I accept. So here we go. Sparktum Nazarzan, Thethfratzeig Moi Wormwood, Chodzein Nictum. What have we here, my pretty? More irrelevant information? Baseball statistics, Japanese anime, Norse mythology. Come on, what do you have to invoke around here to get... Oh, hang on. Now that's interesting. I wonder what's so special about an adoption that it would pop up here unless... Cho Zain Zerman Moy Margaret Roosevelt. Bactum Herzwey Kaun. What the hell? Xander, what happened? What, no pleasantries? No ribald insult? 
You sound drunk again. I always sound this way after I stumble across a man who's been torn in half by something indefinable. A shame, too. He poured a decent whiskey. But I suspect that is not what you mean. I'm calling you from the town pokey, but not as a result of the usual misanthropy, I assure you. Nonetheless, I make a great suspect for the sacrifice of a barkeep. Steve Haskell, the one with the mud. Indeed. Tell me you found something. Well, you do know I live to serve, my lord. But you've got to give a girl some time. And maybe something other than common names. There was a Hank Mason who was a baseball player in the 50s. Have I told you how much I hate organized sports? I'm ready to stop chasing this threat on principle alone. Can I assume he's not your man? It's doubtful he is, slugger. Let's forget Mason for now. It's Steve that concerns me. If he can give me anything you need. Bald. Goatee. Useless. Very large tattoo on his chest of the hermit. Now there we go. The hermit? From the tarot? Yes. Hmm. Peace, solitude, enlightenment... Why were you looking at his chest? Oh, did he too, bare-chested, rustle you to the ground so that you would, I don't know, pay your bar bill? Implying that I am cheap and do not pay the only bill that I do pay on time will not earn you a raise. Apparently, excellent performance of my job functions will not earn me a raise either. And I wasn't implying you were cheap. It was a statement of fact. As amusing as it always is, I actually did not call to spar. Need I remind you that I'm staring through metal bars as we speak. I think everything is about to go pear-shaped, and I can't do a damn thing about it. Were you able to gather any useful information? Actually, I just downloaded a few choice morsels concerning Margaret Roosevelt off the new search engine. You what new search engine? Uh, There just wasn't much information out there in cyberspace, but that doesn't mean there's not information to find. What did you do, Sparrow? Let's put it this way, Xander. If your hand meant my search engine, they would have an awful lot to talk about. I told you not to muck about with that stuff. Do you remember what happened last time you skulked down that bloody... Yes, I remember. And the very reason I remember is the reason why I did what I did. I asked you if this was worth the price, Sander. <sighs> last I checked, you weren't my husband, father, boyfriend, brother, or priest. I don't recall having to clear what I do with you before I do it. You're right, and thank the gods for that. I am, however, your employer, and it wouldn't suit me to have my lovely assistant laced up in a straitjacket and bouncing off the walls of the local sanitarium. Your sensitivity touches me, really. Like a child molester at Disneyland. Good. Do you need more heart-to-heart time, or can you just tell me what you did find? On March 6, 1936, Margaret Roosevelt is murdered. Margaret is an apple picker at an orchard owned by Reginald Bloomington. Six-year-old Cedric Bloomington, son of Reginald, by the way, kills her by drowning her in her bathtub. No arrest, nothing. No court papers or police documents to show any type of an official investigation. Apparently, the only reason they know little Seti is involved is from finding him in a cupboard, mumbling of which I was only able to gather fragments, something to the effect of, nature being inherently evil and not willing to obey, and something about a serpent with the appearance of Mary. Mary, who's Mary? I don't know. There's no other reference to a Mary in the download, although that's the problem with data mining astral echoes. Sometimes the information can be interpreted through the vision of the user. So your memories and experiences can alter or skew the data, in particular your past acceptance of common religion. Oh, we're talking about me now, are we? Well... Catholic. So what? 
and yes. Last, I presume. After what I've seen. Moving on, what else? There's more information and some weirdness attached to it. On March 6th, 1936, Cedric kills Margaret. No official inquest. Nothing really investigated and nothing really reported on. An adoption popped up, though, in connection to Margaret Roosevelt. On March 5th, 1936, Cedric's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Reginald Bloomington, adopt a baby girl and name her Margaret E. Bloomington. But what's really strange is that I ran Margaret's name and data has been deleted. Source files are missing. Computer mumbo-jumbo, all the real thing. We're hinging on an inexact science at this point. Could it just be corrupted data? Maybe. Emotionally corrupted memories problems filtering thoughts into binary data, but this was distinct, like someone's rewriting history. Who has the power to do that? Any magi in town? Doubtful. And even if so, I'm not sure that this place has a DSL connection. Do you know if Margaret is the real mother of the adopted baby, or is this one giant coincidence? Everything is connected. Nothing is coincidence. Hmm. Everything is connected. What are you talking about? I didn't say anything. You didn't just tell me everything is connected, nothing is coincident. Uh, no, I didn't. Are you feeling okay? Is the booze still backing you up? Cute. Do we know if the mother of the adopted baby is Margaret? No. I haven't been able to find anything about the mother or about Margaret herself. As far as I can tell, she showed up in Wormwood a few years before her murder and possibly had a secret child out of wedlock. A secret child her employers then adopt right before she's drowned by the employer's six-year-old. Something's not adding up. Just one thing, love. How does a six-year-old drown a grown woman? And why was there no investigation into the adoption? I know records were scarce, but this is ridiculous. You have a picture of our Maggie? We can try some automatic drawing, but vague interpretation, pencil drawings. I doubt you'll know if it's your gal. Yes. Anything else? That's it so far, boss. All right. See what you can find out about our late barkeep and this hilled relic thing. Keep on at the Roosevelt adoption, and do me a favor and try a bit of research on how long one can be detained by the authorities without being charged. I am a bit worried that Andy Griffith here might have skipped over a chapter or two on Maybury Law. And miss my chance to see you squirm. Hey, boss, remember, don't drop the soap. Funny girl. Let me know. You got it. Oh. And don't forget, cigarettes are currency. Goodbye, Sparrow! Wait, don't forget to join the Aryan gang for safety. <coughs> so you want to know about Wormwood? Ah! Bloody Nora, from which corner of hell did you materialize? What? Where were you? It's a small cell. It's not like I missed you when I was unceremoniously tossed in here. I was in the corner. You were much too involved with your conversation to recognize my existence as a person, much less an obstacle in the cell. I'm at a sincere loss for words. Jonesy's the name, panhandling's the game. Although it's really all about marketing these days. You know, I was the first person to invent the will work for beer deviation. Gangbusters. That is a shame. Anyway, I like to call myself Residence Challenged, but that's really a load of crap. On the other hand, bum has such a negative connotation. It suggests I can't pay my bills and I'm a deadbeat, which is untrue. I don't have any debt because I don't have any money to create debt. Actually, I'd like to bring the term hobo back into vogue. That's what I'm working on now. By the way, I've seen that cell phone before. I don't believe it belongs to you, does it, Dr. Crow? I find that curious. 
I also find curious the fact that I just heard that Steve was killed in a most gruesome manner. I liked Steve a lot, you know. He would give me a pint every now and again. Oh, here it comes. I can see it in your eyes. Look out. The bum here is an alcoholic and to be feared. Oh, Mr. Bum, is that why you're homeless? You can't handle the evil alcohol and you drank yourself homeless? And what other unsavory habits do you have, Mr. Bum? I thought you preferred hobo. We're still living in a bum's world, man. But wait for it. I'm working on it. I see. But I digress, and I ponder any logical reason for not informing our nice Sheriff Bradley why you have a dead man's cell phone. I know the Sheriff well, but I don't really know you, do I? As fascinating as this might be... You'd like to know how I know who you are, Dr. Crow? Yes. I'm a student of human nature, Doctor. I knew your question before you asked it. Is that why you feel you have the privilege of prattling on incessantly? I also tend to read a bit, Dr. Crow. Do you? I thought your second book about gender identity in teenagers was very enlightening. Yes. Well, that was well received. An insightful examination of culture and the nature versus nurture argument. But what was most interesting is that you found a way to cast it all in a three-act narrative structure, which I suspect is what really allowed you to creep into the edges of the bestseller list. Well, my editor did say that I was actually... But then you wrote the book about Samantha Holloway, an entire book about an 11-year-old girl, and judging from the sentence structure in the hazy at best third act, I'd suspect that it was rewritten after the fact in the alcoholic haze. Needless to say, the book bombed and you disappeared. What really happened with Samantha Holloway, Dr. Crow? For a hobo, you are rather well-read, aren't you? What would you rather hear about, Jonesy? Samantha Holloway or how I've obtained Steve Haskell's telephone? I'm not going anywhere. I've got lots of time. I came upon our good barkeep's body at the murder scene. I had managed to disable my previous cell phone and needed to have that important phone call that you managed to overhear. I honestly didn't think he'd need it again. You didn't think that that phone might create an evidential link to the murder? I didn't kill Steve. I wanted to ask him about something and came across the ghastly scene. The cell phone was far out of it. So you had nothing to do with his murder? Bit of a detective, are you there, Jonesy? I just pilfered his telephone. Although I would appreciate it if you did not tell the sheriff about it, as it might give him an even dimmer view of me. You didn't have anything to do with the murder, I can see that. Well, it's good to know that I've been cleared of the murder of Bartender Steve by the mayor of Wormwood. Watch your mouth, you limey bastard. I'm rather fond of the folks here in Wormwood. So tell me about Wormwood, then. Hmm, interesting. Where would we start? Why don't we start at the beginning? I seem to be operating at a loss here. The basic history is easy enough. When the world was young, a great flood created these mountain lands. World makers set out to inspect the land for his people, but Coyote interfered, destroying and devastating the land. Thus the rocky foothills you see around you. Well, I mean, outside. What is that, a Maidu myth? One man's myth is another man's reality.
Oh, please stop with all the Indian voodoo stuff again, Jonesy. Voodoo isn't Native American, Deputy Drexel. Well, whatever. Rain dancing. Totem pole, what have you. Wayne, lunchtime already, my good man? Jonesy, I've told you a thousand times to leave the other, um, prisoners alone. Honestly, Deputy, it's the most interesting conversation I've had since being here. Who knew the local jail was the happening social hotspot? You. You! Just wait until the sheriff gets back. What's for lunch, Wayne? I'm getting a little hungry. I don't know. Actually, Can we order a I pizza? Oh. No, not after last time. Oh, come on. We've got to show our new guest a real wormwood welcome. That's quite all right. You're talking about a suspect in a, a murder case, Jonesy. I don't think that's the kind of thing we should be doing. Well, we've got to eat, right? What are you having for lunch, Wayne? Um, well, actually, I wanted to ask you if you saw my, um... The radio's right over there under your jacket where you left it earlier today. Yes! I knew it! I knew it was somewhere in here. Tom said that he bet that I left it at home again. But I told him that's why I set the second alarm clock. Because it reminds me to grab my gun and my radio before I come to work. Say, have you guys seen the coffee pot today? I swear I set it down somewhere over... since the rainstorm. Are you okay, Jacob? You sound a little funny. Of course I sound funny. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but you disappeared for a day. And did I tell you how I woke up in a dead cow? I think I told you that, right? And then that weird guy Crows shows up at my house, at my house, looking for some drowned girl because he thinks it's you. And then you show up out of nowhere and I can't even remember what happened the other day. Okay. So tell me what you do remember. It was raining. Real hard. No, duh. We both got soaked, remember? Oh, that's right. Shut up. No, we skipped school because you didn't want to take the history test. Hey, it wasn't like I was twisting your arm or anything to skip. In fact, you jumped at the idea of taking off for the day. You're like my Tom Sawyer. Huh? (laughs) Okay. Look, I'm not saying it was your fault or anything. I just can't really... It kind of feels like a dream still. How did I go from being soaked in the rain to waking up in a pile of cow guts? And where did you go? I don't really remember either. We were down by the quarry. I don't know, there's something. Did we see an animal or... I don't know. Well, how do you expect me to remember if you can't? I can't do it for you. It's not like that time I wrote your English essay and you put your name on it. You need to do the work yourself. I don't need this anymore. Where the hell were you yesterday? It doesn't take all day to get to my house from the quarry. I need to know. We, I, I remember singing about the muddy man. And then the wind picked up, and the trees by the quarry were whipping around. Why did we go to the quarry? We were running. I, it's on the tip of my tongue. We don't go there. You don't like it there. It always creeped you out, but there isn't a lot in this town that doesn't creep you out. It was raining, and we were soaked. Jacob. 
Jacob Kidder, is that you? What? Oh, uh, yeah, hi, Mrs. Bradley. What on earth are you doing out here? Tom, Sheriff Bradley, tell me what happened. Are you okay? Do you remember anything yet? Um, no, not... Well, I don't really know what happened. I guess I fell or something. I, I wasn't feeling good this morning, so I stayed home. We're just up taking a walk to see if it helps stir up any... Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to talk to your parents at the next book club meeting. They really need to keep an eye on you, young man. Why don't you get in the car and let me give you a ride home? You shouldn't be out wandering around. Ah, uh, that's okay, Mrs. Bradley. I'd rather just walk for a while and clear my head. I don't think that's a good idea, Jacob. After the stories you've been telling, get in the car. I'll go home soon. Actually, I'll start back now. I, I just want to walk, you know? Do your parents know you're out here? Yes, they know. Well then, I'll tell you what. I have to go to the library, but I think I'll stop by your house later to make sure you made it back safely. I worry that you'll find yourself in another accident. Okay, Mrs. Bradley, I'll, I'll be okay now. Fine, Jacob. If I don't see you, make sure to stop by the library tomorrow. I'm going to be ordering some new books, so if you want to make suggestions for the science fiction section... You're going to have to let me know. Sure. Sure, no no problem. Come see me, Jacob. Tomorrow. That was weird. Yeah. You helped stock those geeky sci-fi books for the library? Wow. You're more hopeless than I thought. No, I mean... Mrs. Bradley didn't even look at you. I've never liked that woman. It's got to be a mutual dislike. Well, she's always been perfectly nice. Especially when most of the teachers think we're screw-ups. She's always been on our side. Sure. That's why it was like she was just looking right through me. Did you notice she didn't even say hi to me? So you don't like her because she didn't say hi? It's pretty rude, considering. Well, why didn't you say hi to her and solve the whole problem? <laughs> I didn't say it was a problem. I just said I don't trust her. I don't trust her either. I mean, she is over 30 after all. <laughs> you are such a tar. Well, I try. Watch out for the mud. Mud? What mud? Oh. That mud. We saw him. What? Saw who? The muddy man. I remember. Don't. I, I don't. No, we were at the quarry throwing rocks into the pit. It was raining and the wind was whipping all around us. And we heard a sound. There was a sound. Do you remember? And we heard a sound and started to see if it was someone with a car. But we saw a shape. A shape of a man? Yeah, you thought it was the muddy man. He's real, Rachel. Oh my God, he's real. He, he must have... I don't know, attacked us, but you got away from him. He must have come after me, but I don't, I don't remember anything after hearing you scream. How did I get to that field, and how did you get away? I don't know, Jake. I don't know, but... Jake? You never called me that before. What? Oh, sometimes I call you that when, when you aren't around. You know, nothing big. Uh, do you like it? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's different. As the name goes, it's all right. But I like it when you say it. Uh, do you know what Jacob means? Is it Hebrew for nerd? <laughs> it means supplanter. What's a supplanter? I have no idea. Well, that's a stupid definition, then. I'm not calling you supplanter, either, so don't get used to it. My soul, I'm giving up on everything you say to me. Those empty... Hey, Jacob. Jake, man, what's going on? Jimmy. Hey, what's up? Dude, what's going on with you? I've been hearing all sorts of crazy stuff. 
Epic tales of the boy who slew the cow. Man, what did I tell you about the drugs? I uh, forget. Well, Rachel and I are just... Rachel? Did she come home? I figured she finally ran away to L.A. or New York or something, following the muse, you know. So where is she? she okay? Dr. Crow is trying to find her, too. What are you talking about? Jimmy, Rachel's right here. Jake? Man, there ain't nobody there. To be continued on the next episode of Wormwood. Created by David Acampo and Jeremy Rogers, Wormwood is an original podcast produced by Habit Forming Films, LLC, featuring the cast of Season 1 characters, Arthur Russell as Dr. Sander Crow, Sonia Perozzi as Sparrow and Rachel Nolan, Joe J. Thomas as Hank Mason, Mr. Brezier, Phineas Zimmer, and your announcer, Rob Grindlinger as Sheriff Tom Bradley and Steve Haskell, Coralie Nickars as Emily Saunders and Deidre Frost, Scott Olenek as Jacob Kidder, Andrew Ramirez as Dexter Nolan, Dave Johnston as Deputy Wayne Drexel, Zachary Fawkes as Brent Saunders and Charles Edison, Cheyenne Besides as Lamora Haskell and Katrina Edison, Anna Maganini as Lynette Bradley, Luke Gannon as Dr. Pete Menno, and Peter Dirksen as Jimmy Details and Jonesy. Additional voices provided by the talented cast. Original music compositions by Todd Hodges. This week's episode includes the music track Empty Words by Absent Me. For more details, visit www.absentme.com and iTunes. Sound effects engineered by Chris Sahakian. Copyright 2007, Habit Forming Films, LLC. Wormwood is a serialized podcast and cannot be distributed in part or whole outside of the podcast format without written consent from the creators. For more information on the cast and writers and individual episode credits, visit www.wormwoodshow.com. Thank you for listening, and welcome to town. is mine.